This is a podcast from the University of Manchester's Jodrell Bank Center for Astrophysics. For the full show and archives, visit jodcast.net. The night sky for July 2018. Well, I guess the nights are getting slightly longer, so that could be a good thing. Let's start with what we might see just with our eyes or perhaps with binoculars looking up at the heavens. The bright star Arcturus at the bottom end of the constellation Bootes is setting towards the western horizon after dark. Leo is probably just disappearing below the horizon at the time. Moving over reasonably high elevation towards the east, we first come to the constellation of Hercules with its lovely globular cluster M13, and then over to the very bright star Vega, in the very small constellation of Lyra the Lyre. Below Lyra is the constellation of Aquila, with its bright star Altair, and up to its left is the bright star Deneb in Cygnus. And those three stars make up, as I'm sure you know, what's called the Northern Triangle. With binoculars, if you move upwards from Altair, about a third of the way towards Vega, you actually cross a dark part of the Milky Way called the Cygnus Rift. And in there, you might spot an upside-down coat hanger. That's what it's normally called, but it's actually Brocky's Cluster. Down to the left of Cygnus is a beautiful little constellation, Delphinus the Dolphin. Do have a look for that. And then finally, rising over in the east and getting higher as the night progresses is the square of Pegasus, the inverted flying horse. So there are some nice things to see and of course as we'll see we have a fair number of planets available to look at during the month of July. So let's look at them. Well first of all Jupiter. It can be seen in the south after sunset at the start of the month and over towards the southwest as month progresses. It shines at magnitude minus 2.3, falling a little bit to minus 2.1 during the month. and has a disk some 41.5 arc seconds across, which of course is also falling to about 38 arc seconds. The equatorial bands and sometimes the great red spot can be seen. And in the night sky page, just put in night sky Jodrell to find it, I have a list of some of the best times in the evenings of July where the red spot will be on the meridian facing us. Sadly, moving slowly westwards in Libra during the month, Jupiter is heading for the southern part of the ecliptic, and will only have an elevation of about 20 degrees when crossing the meridian. So what's called atmospheric dispersion will thus hinder our view, and it might be worth considering the purchase of a ZWO atmospheric dispersion corrector to counter its effects. Well, what about Saturn? Saturn was at opposition on the 27th of June, so it'll be visible during all the few hours of darkness. It'll be highest in the south around midnight as July begins, a little earlier by month's end. The disk has an angular size of 18.4 arc seconds, falling a bit during the month. Its brightness reduces from plus naught to plus 0.2 as the month progresses. Now, the rings were at their widest some months ago, and still at 26 degrees to the line of sight, are very well open, spanning around two and a half times the size of Saturn's globe. 
Saturn is lying in Sagittarius, not far from the topmost star of the teapot, and is slowly moving in retrograde to within a few degrees of M8, the Lagoon Nebula, and M20, the Triffid Nebula. Sadly, again, it will only reach an elevation of just over 15 degrees above the horizon when crossing the meridian. It's going to be down in the southern part of the ecliptic for quite some time. Perhaps it's time to emigrate to perhaps New Zealand or Australia, where it's beautifully high in the sky, as I saw last year. Mercury, shining at around zeroth magnitude early in the month, reaches greatest elongation west of the sun on July the 12th. That's when we see it in the evening. It'll then be seen about 15 degrees down to the lower right of Venus, but will have dimmed to magnitude plus one by the 17th of the month and will then rapidly fade from view into the sun's glare. Mars, in Capricornus, is moving in retrograde motion westwards as it moves towards its closest approach to Earth since 2003 on the night of July the 30th, 31st. It begins the month rising about two hours after sunset, shining at magnitude minus 2.2, but its brightness peaks at minus 2.8 during the final week of July. Its angular size reaches 24.3 arc seconds at closest approach, will exceed 24 arc seconds from July the 24th until August the 8th. So it's the best time in principle to see Mars for quite some time. However, of course, it will only reach an elevation of about 14 degrees when due south. So sadly, as for both Jupiter and Saturn, the atmosphere will hinder our view. Well, finally, Venus. Well, Venus can be seen low in the west after nightfall, sinking towards the horizon as the month progresses. During the month of July, its illuminated face thins from 70% to 57%. But at the same time, the angular diameter of the disk is increasing from 16 to 20 arc seconds. The surface area reflecting the sun's light thus stays roughly constant, and so the brightness stays at around minus 4.2. On the 9th of July, as we'll see, Venus is close to Regulus and Leo, and on the 15th, close to a waxing crescent moon. So finally, what about some highlights of the month? July, it's still a great month to view Jupiter. It came into opposition on May the 8th, some time ago, and will be visible in the south in late evening. It is moving down the ecliptic and now lies in Libra so sadly will only reach an elevation of about 20 degrees when crossing the meridian from the UK. I was in fact imaging it uh, from southern Spain, and it was much higher. An interesting observation is that the great red spot appears to be diminishing in size. At the beginning of the last century, it spanned some 40,000 kilometres across, but now appears to be only about 16,500 kilometres across, less than half the size. The shrinking rate appears to be accelerating. Maybe it will eventually disappear. Now, I've imaged Jupiter recently, and the red spot is very prominent, has a lovely orange-red colour. Now, those images, not brilliant because it's low in the sky, can be seen in an article on imaging Jupiter at closest approach, which can be found in the Astronomy Digest that I write, and there's a link to that on the night sky page. 
Well, Saturn is only just past opposition, so it's now due south and highest in the sky in the late evening. It lies, as I said, close to the topmost star of the teapot in Sagittarius. Held steady, binoculars should enable you to see Saturn's brightest moon, Titan, at magnitude 8.2. A small telescope will show the rings with magnifications of times 25 or more, and one of 6 to 8 inches aperture, with a magnification of about 200, as long as you have a night of good seeing, will show Saturn and its beautiful ring system in its full glory. The thing that makes Saturn stand out is, of course, its ring system. The two outermost rings, A and B, are separated by a gap called Cassini's division, which should be visible in a telescope of four or more inches aperture, if the seeing conditions are good. Lying within the B ring, but far less bright and difficult to spot, is the C or crate ring. Due to the orientation of Saturn's rotation axis of 27 degrees with respect to the plane of the solar system, the orientation of the rings, as seen by us, changes as it orbits the Sun. And twice each orbit they lie edge on to us, and so can hardly be seen. This last happened in 2009, and they are now well opened out, currently at about 26 degrees to the line of sight. The ring's orientation is beginning to narrow until in March 2025 they will appear edge on again. Well, some other things to look for. On the night sky site I show you how to find the globular cluster in Hercules M13 and also spot the double-double star in Lyra. That's rather nice. With binoculars a binary star is seen, but when observed with a telescope each of these two stars is revealed to be a double star, hence the name. And early in July, you have a chance to spot what are called noctilucent clouds. And they're most commonly seen in a deep twilight towards the north from our latitude. They are the highest clouds in the atmosphere at heights of around 80 kilometers or 50 miles, normally too faint to be seen. They are visible when illuminated by sunlight from below the northern horizon, whilst the lower parts of the atmosphere are in shadow. So do try and have a look around midnight if you're up, look towards the north and you may just see them. And some quick things, on July the 3rd around 2.30am if you happen to be up you can see Mars with a waning gibbous moon. On July the 9th after sunset, that's easier, Venus will be close to Regulus in Leo as I said earlier. On July the 10th before dawn, again pretty early, the moon is passing through the Hyades cluster in Taurus. On July the 15th after sunset, Venus will be seen to the left of a very thin crescent moon. That'll be quite a challenging observation, I think. Somewhat easier, on July the 19th after sunset, Jupiter will lie below a waxing gibbous moon. And finally, on July the 24th after sunset, Saturn will be close to a waxy moon. Well, on July the 27th, after sunset, we have what may be the, the best highlight of the month, in fact. It's a total eclipse of the moon. So if it's clear, try and get yourself with a site where there's a very good low horizon in the southeast. And about 8.50 BST, you should see a blood-red moon rise. It rises higher 
over the next hour or so. At 9.21 is the time of maximum eclipse. And at 10.13, the moon moves out of the umbra and part of it into the penumbra. So that's the end of the total eclipse. At 11.19, that partial eclipse ends. The moon has left the Earth's umbra and lost its red colour. And finally, at 12.28, the penumbral eclipse ends and the moon has moved totally out of the Earth's shadow. So let's really hope it's going to be clear that night. You might ask, why does the moon look a sort of a deep, dusky red colour? Well, if you were an astronaut on the surface of the moon, looking back at the Earth during the total eclipse, you'd see a black disc, that was the Earth, but around it would be a red rim, and that is the sunlight that's been refracted round through the atmosphere. It's lost its blue light because that's been scattered, giving our blue skies above. So we see that lovely red colour. If there's been a major volcanic explosion, as with Mount St Helen some time ago, there's so much dust in the atmosphere that almost no light gets around the Earth's surface and you can barely see, see the moon. So let's keep our fingers crossed. It's a lovely thing to see when it does happen. All the very best. So there are some things to look for this month. And of course, as the months progress beyond, we have more hours of darkness. Good hunting. Uh, thanks for that, Ian. Um, and now this is the bit about the Antipodes that was alluded to at the start. So I always found it odd when I came to Europe that people would call me Antipodean and I have never heard an Australian or Kiwi refer to themselves as that. And to be honest, I came to Europe and someone said, we finally got an Antipodean in the Amsterdam Institute. And I went, oh, what now? What the heck is that? So and I looked it up. An Antipodean uh, or something described as Antipodean is from Australia or New Zealand specifically or something relating to Australia or New Zealand. So I personally think we should cut it from Jodcast because... Not every Southern Hemisphere listener is in Australia and New Zealand. There's other Southern Hemisphere places. I mean, I know the Northern Hemisphere wouldn't believe that. <laughs> but there are actually many places in the Southern Hemisphere that aren't Antipodean. Um, and I also then got it, uh, stuck looking at what an antipode is. And an antipode is the place on the Earth that's exactly opposite. So if you draw a line from the place that you're in, say Manchester, through the centre of the Earth to the other side then that's the antipode. And there's a website called www.antipodesmap.com where you can look up the antipode of your location. So I, of course, I, now that I was in this rabbit hole, had to look up what it is for Manchester. And the antipode of Manchester is just a chunk of ocean to the southeast of New Zealand's South Island. So if we said uh, Antipodean and we really meant it by the definition of the word, we'd be talking to anyone on a boat in the middle of the ocean to the southeast of New Zealand. And I feel like that doesn't really sum up our Southern Hemisphere listeners. So It's a bit of an Arabah. <laughs> <laughs> so instead, I'm going to just say for our listeners down under, because I have to, um, here's Gabby Perez with the night sky where you are. Kia ora, everyone. Gabriela Perez here from Space Place at the Carter Observatory here in Wellington, New Zealand. Uh, the winter continues here in Wellington, New Zealand, and with it comes the season of Matariki, the Māori New Year, as well as spectacular views of our planets and plenty of hours of nights to gaze at the night sky. 
So in July, all the visible planets will be in our sky. Mercury will set with the sun in the west, appearing very close to the brilliant evening star Venus. High up in the sky will be the orange Jupiter in the constellation of Libra, followed by Saturn in Sagittarius in the bulge of our Milky Way, roughly in the location of the center of our galaxy. And Mars will be found in Capricornus. Mars will be the closest it has been to Earth since 2003 when we pass it at the end of July. The brightest stars in our night sky, Sirius and Canopus, can be found in the southwest, both twinkling as they're quite close to the horizon. Canopus will appear to change in color as its light is quite dispersed and appears to separate into separate colors as it is closer to the horizon. Mark itself is a bit of a traffic light of our south skies. In the north, we can spot Cancer the Crab, along with Leo the Lion. I always thought Leo looked a bit like a coat hanger in its stick figure form, and Cancer a bit like a Y. Um, it's difficult to spot Cancer, though, because Cancer is the dimmest of the zodiac constellations. This is where your overt vision would come in very handy to see some of the uh, trickier objects in the sky. The brightest star in this constellation is only about magnitude 3.5, to give you an idea. Cancer is home to some famous deep sky objects, including M66 and the Beehive Cluster. M66 can be found between the midpoint between Regulus and Leo and Procyon in Canis Minor. It is the oldest close star cluster. It's about 3.5 to 5 billion years, which is quite incredible, as stars generally tend to pull away from their sister stars in an open cluster uh, quite quickly. For contrast, we can see below it the Beehive Cluster, which is aged at only 600 million years. In the south, we find some spectacular views of our Milky Way, along it peppered with dark patches, marking the location of dark nebulas, made quite visible to us because of the high concentrations of stars and the subsequent light in this edgewise view of our Milky Way. The most visible of these is the Coalsack Nebula, this densely packed pillar of gas and dust could actually ignite one day, much like coal itself. Within it um, are all the right conditions for stars to be born. For now, it's one of the darkest patches in our sky, but in a few million years, it could be the brightest. Um, of course, you can use this to find the crux or the Southern Cross, which is always a favorite to find here in the Southern Hemisphere. But a more reliable method would be to use the pointer stars, the orange Alpha and the blue Beta Centauri. These are the brightest stars in the constellation of Centaurus. Alpha is actually a triple star system, and its dimmest star just off to the side is our closest stellar neighbor, Proxima Centauri, at only 4.2 light years away. The heliacal rising of the Pallides star cluster, Matariki, marks the time of the Māori New Year, and we can find it in our dawn sky, which has a particular importance to us here in New Zealand, as the dawn sky, as opposed to the evening sky, was the one that was closely studied by the early Māori astronomers. At this time of the year, in the dawn, we can see the four pillars, or pau, three in the east, which is Sirius, the Pallides, and Orion's belt, and a lonely pillar in the west, Scorpius, with a curved back, as the weight of the sky is crushing down on it. The belt of Orion is easily spotted just before sunrise, and we use this to point us to the Pallides or Matariki. Matariki is found in the shoulder of the bull um, in the constellation of Taurus. It is a young star cluster, only 100 million years old. 
mostly consistent of giant hot blue stars. It's quite a rare sight to be able to pick up so many stars in an individual cluster with the naked eye. We usually can see around nine. I think that's all for me from here in New Zealand. To the New Zealanders who are listening, remember to keep warm, and I hope you have a happy Matariki season, and I wish everyone clear skies in the month of July.